Blog Talk Radio. I think you're I, right. I very well could be. 
I mean, I'm not wrong very often. Um, but we we the also have is, a what? The well. only thing is, our, our our show doesn't get any courtesy flushes. No, no, but but again, we could. Don't give them any ideas though. Um, but okay. but for those of you who are listening to the, you know, to to the other station, our sister station, not necessarily here on Blog Talk, but on FM, you can see the Jets right now, uh, 48 points right now against the Detroit Lions. Uh, the first time, I, I think, I don't think the Jets have scored 48 points combined in three seasons. So I know tomorrow morning is going to be very interesting uh, as New York Jets talk is going to sweep the uh, greater New York area here. So that should be fun. Uh, but I can't. I, um, I am a Jets so, fan so, tonight. Tonight, I bet you are, because I know you, you love those Lions. Um, I can't talk to me a little bit about raw. Am I missing anything good? Yeah, Alexa your Bliss girl, right now your girl is in the ring right now against Natalia and Mick, I mean Natalia and Ronda Rousey against Alexa Bliss and Nikki James. And uh, the other interesting thing is, so you know, I know you're DVRing it, so you can start it at the uh, at the uh, uh, the nine o'clock hour slot, which is about 10 o'clock your time. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say it, but it just looks like uh, Alexa Bliss's uh, uh, outfit is just a little tighter for some reason. I don't know what that is, but it just looks like that to me. And there, se- there seems to be some dissension in the ranks because uh, Alexa just uh, – Begged in Mickey James, and Mickey James just said, "That is not what I told you to do." And now she's uh, against Ronda Rousey, so uh, uh, I, you know, <laughs> we we found out uh, last night that uh, Ronda Rousey uh, has one hell of a right cross, uh, as we found out, because we talked to an individual that's been hit in the face by her by her left and her right. Uh, so uh, I don't know if I'd want to. I don't. I don't know if I'd, I'd ever want to uh, have any cross words with Ronda Rousey. That's just. That's just me. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, I wouldn't want to make her mad, but you know. <laughs> I don't know about big swing, but you know, I wouldn't want to make yeah. her mad, but. And I don't know who this manager is or whoever this other individual is that uh, uh, Alexa and Mickey James have brought to the ring with them. I, this this gal, she's dressed up like with the hat she's wearing. She looks like one of those. Uh, is it old, a, is uh, it Alicia Fox? It's Alicia oh, is that who Fox, that is? isn't it? I think it is. Oh yeah, that hat. She she looks like one of those old characters from Strawberry Shortcake that used to wear one of those hats. You know. Yeah, I think. I I think it's Alicia Fox, if I'm not mistaken, Icon. Yeah, I I I know my sisters used to like Strawberry Shortcake. I don't remember the name of the characters because I didn't care, but that's what she that hat reminds me of is Strawberry Shortcake character. That's who it looks but, like. I mean, well, looks like she's either got a blonde wig on or she's dyed her hair, but it looks like Alicia Fox. Well. You know, such is their own, I guess. 
So, uh, withstanding this, uh, our guest is going to be calling in in about uh, 14, 8 minutes. Uh, we'll be calling in. So eight minutes. Uh, you know, nice. I was going yeah, to ask your guys' opinion. And sure. I know you're doing the Jets. Uh, you're you doing Monday Night Football. So uh, I am. You know, yeah, both uh, games. Uh, both games. I got the Raiders. I got the. I got uh, Granny's favorite, the Raiders and the Rams. After this, no, too. So. No, 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 Raiders. Don't like the Raiders. But my <laughs> Chiefs won yesterday, so I was very happy. I tell you, Patrick Mahomes looks good, and uh, Tyreek Hill might be the fastest man on the planet. I'm just saying, he might be. Now, he you, he uh, might be the he might be like the Usain Bolt of the National Football League. Do either of you do either of you guys do fantasy football? No. Yes. Okay. I don't. Yeah, my my fantasy football team is just kicking arse after yesterday. Wait. Well, my, my, so is my mine, son has a my son occasionally does fantasy football with his Sunday school class, but I don't. Well, it, I, I, I can, you know what's funny I is I had Kirk Cousins. I I had Kirk Cousins on the bench because I had Philip Rivers starting, and you know Philip Rivers, despite them losing, um, Philip Rivers throws for like 500 yards a game, even if they lose. So I mean, you know, I had Philip right. Rivers, and uh, so he helped me out. Uh, a little bit, but uh, y- your buddy there, Adam Thielen, actually had a pretty good game. He got me like 17 points or something like that. So yeah. I was uh, I was pretty pumped about that as the Vikings come out and start 1-0 against Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. But uh, we talked a lot about sports last night. Um, we're back here on this wrestling program, and we are the week before the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Uh, Icon has said several times he does not think that the Hell in a Cell is going to be your traditional Hell in a Cell. He doesn't think it's going to be as good as what the Hell in a Cells have been in the past. Now, let me ask you this, though, and this is for both of you. The Hell in a Cell match used to be that niche match. It used to be the match where if you really wanted to add the drama and the suspension, the tension, you would book the match and you would book it inside Hell in a Cell uh, so that, you know, you you would be like, oh, my God, it's going to be a Hell in a Cell match. That's crazy. Now they have a whole pay-per-view dedicated to it. Uh, the Elimination Chamber is now the new niche match. But do you guys think that that they should have made a whole pay-per-view centered around Hell in a Cell? Or do you think that they should have left it as one of those specialty matches uh, to give them a little something extra to add some, uh, some momentum to the storyline? Well, you know, the, the thing about the Hell in the Cell is, you know, every match, I guess, is going to be in the cell. Is that the way I understand it? Am I correct in that? Or is it just the championship matches? Or is everything in the cell? I'm not sure on that. I, I'm well, kind of well, like thinking. By the I, way, I, Icon. I'm kind of thinking. Go what? ahead, guys. Oh, no. You're, you're kind of thinking what, Granny? No. Well, I was going to say, by, just, by the way, I want to. No, continue, continue, continue. I'm sorry. No, go, 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 go. I was just going to say, I think they should have left it just as a special, you know, and not made like, I mean, you know, but that's just my opinion. Me well, too. You know, I, I think they should have left it as a niche match. I, I really do. I mean, you know, if they if they want to, if they want to, you know, if they want to uh, uh, exploit Hell in the Cell, which they are because it's not Hell in the Cell, because Hell in the Cell 
is what it's supposed to be. Hell in a cell. There is a cell, but there is no hell. I mean, if you know, if they want to make a, if they want to do a hell in a cell match, the Undertaker versus Triple H should be hell in a cell because that match itself is going to be hell. So there would be your hell for hell in the cell. That, I mean, that match is just going to suck. I think so too. I mean, I don't know. So I'm I'm anxious to I'm anxious to see it. I'm because I you know I guarantee you that you're not going to see uh, you're not going to see anybody get thrown off the top of the cell. Uh, you know, uh, at least. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, well they but can't anymore, though. I mean, with safety precautions and things like that, that they do. I mean, they they, they can't do what they used to do back, you know, twenty years ago. Just they uh, can't. I mean, they can't like do. They can't do what the Undertaker did to mankind McCole. because they were showing. Oh, no, they, they were McFoley. Yeah, they were showing um, how you know because McFoley's supposed to be on Raw tonight talking about the twentieth anniversary of Hell in a Cell. Yeah, and, and you but know what's talking, crazy is they were talking about it, and when you when you look at that, I mean, Ric Flair wasn't wrong. When he called Mick Foley a glorified stunt double, that's really what he was. And, you know, the way, the way things are nowadays uh, with safety precautions, and it's not just in WWE, it's in all sports with the concussion protocol stuff and the, you know, player safety and the, the players' unions and, and whatnot do those kind of things anymore. I mean, back then, it was all about entertainment. They don't care. They wouldn't care if you lit somebody on fire and watched them, you know, burn to death in the middle of the ring as long as we got them ratings. Now, you you can barely even even actually touch them anymore because of the way things are uh, with with player safety and, and performer safety. So that's the thing about Hell in a Cell that gets to me is, are they going to find a way to make this pay per view? Uh, a little bit more bloody, a little bit more intense, or is this just going to be, you know, standard matches with a cage around it? You know, that that's what I'm wondering. And, you know, I think the Braun Strowman-Roman Reigns match in the Hell in a Cell, I think that's going to get intense. That's going to get physical. Uh, we might see some blood in that. Um, but other than that, I don't really see a lot of matches where they could use Hell in a Cell to its full potential. And that's, and that's what's disappointing to me. Um, Icon, I tried to jump in a minute ago to tell you, by the way, that the Sanchez, Gary Sanchez, hit a home run top of the first. one nothing Yankees over the Minnesota Twins. So I did I did want to say that as well. Um, but anyway, well, that's fine, because I, uh, I don't care about the Twins now. Anyway, I, I like them, but I don't care about them right now, you know. Yeah, no, I know. You're, you're, you're locked in on your you're locked in on your Vikings advice. Um, but but yeah, so so that's my that's my point uh, with Hell in a Cell is I don't mind a pay per view essentially based around it. I just want it to be, you know, what a Hell in a Cell match is. I want it to be what a you know uh, uh, what I'm ex- out of a Hell in a Cell. And you know, WWE has done a great job of building up expectations and not delivering. And then failing to build up expectations and exceeding tenfold. So the fact that I don't have 
any expectations or any good expectations for this pay-per-view means it will probably be a pretty good one. Um, but again, who, who the hell knows? I mean, this is one of those things where it's a head scratcher. I, I just, I, you just never know where WWE creative is going to go with these kind of things. Uh, and, and, you know, I normally, I like the unpredictability. That's why I liked the attitude era, but I don't like the uh, unpredictability in this case, just because it just doesn't make sense half the time. You know, they do things, and instead of sitting there going, wow, you're sitting there going, wow. You know, if that makes any sense. Like, like it's a question mark, not an exclamation point. Um, I can, we do have a caller on the line here. I believe it's our first guest of the evening, so I believe so anyway. Uh, so I am going to patch. Yes, 403 number. So I'm going to patch them through. I'm going to put Monday Night Football on a commercial here, and I will jump back in. Uh, in a few minutes, but Icon, you go ahead, do your thing, Granny Hulkster and the Icon here on Attitude Air Live. Ladies and gentlemen, our first combatant of the night, he is from the legendary Hart family, trained in the dungeon with the legend Stu Hart, older brother to Brett the Hitman Hart, and one of the guys that taught the other Hart's how to wrestle their hearts out. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Bruce Hart. Hey, Bruce, how are you? Oh, good. Uh, nice to be on. Uh, thanks for the, uh, the nice intro. Hi, Bruce. Yeah, uh, was that not the best you ever ever had in your career? Yeah, it ranks right up there. Uh, <laughs> well done. <laughs> so I'm blushing. So. All right. Uh so uh, what uh, what we'd like to do is after I introduce our guests, we'd like to have them uh, kind of tell us a little background about themselves, and then we uh, ask some questions. So if you want to give us a little background about uh, yourself, and then we'll uh, ask you the tough question. Yeah. Yeah, I'm game for whatever. You know, I've been, uh, as as you know and as your listeners know, I've been, I've sort of been integrally involved with the uh, Stampede promotion since I grew up in it, you know, and uh, I was kind of like one of the first hearts to get in the ring, and um, I was kind of involved in in the wrestling and in the uh, the booking. So I had a, a you know fairly pronounced influence on what we were doing back in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, throughout the eighties, and you know. Uh, had a pretty pretty good run in there, you know. He had a really kind of a unique style, which was kind of a hybrid of England and Japan and uh, you know uh, states and Canada and uh, and turned out a lot of guys who went on to become uh, pretty iconic, you know, the Bulldogs and my brothers Owen and Brett and Anvil and guys like David Schultz and Bad News Allen and uh, Benoit and Jericho and uh, Natalia, Tyson Kidd, Harry Smith, uh, Pillman, you know. So we had a, we had a pretty uh, long and diverse, colorful uh, run there, you know, and uh, we were always pretty innovative up there too, you know. We, all kind of the uh, people who spawned the uh, ladder matches and triple threat matches and uh, 
lot of that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, quite a bit of history and uh, whatever up there, you know. So, uh, you know, so uh, uh, in the uh, order of uh, hearts, children, uh, where uh, do you come in? Yeah, I'm uh, second after Smitty, the one who passed away, who uh, he was kind of the oldest and kind of an unsung hero, Smith. He uh, was a lot more uh, influential than people maybe perceive him to have been, you know. He passed away last uh, July, and oddly enough, on Brett's birthday, so... uh, but yeah, um, it wasn't all that easy, you know. You, you, uh, my right. dad was pretty hardline, and uh, so it, you know, it was Satori to be, uh, you know, kind of towing the liner, you know, kind of doing it his way, old school, which which was cool, you know. I. I I had different perspectives about the uh, the business, and that, that I think they even became a little bit more kind of diverse when I traveled. I went to England, and I proved to be really uh, interesting and enlightening, you know, kind of dichotomy for me to be over there, and uh, I saw a lot of things that were a lot different than what was going on in uh, North America at that time and uh, a lot of stuff that was really getting over and um, I later on implemented a lot of that stuff you know that's where I ran into Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy and uh, they're just kind of skinny up and coming kids at that time you know they're 18, 19 something like that and um, but Actually, a lot of my traveling, you know, had a pretty pronounced influence on my booking later on. You know, I spent a fair bit of time in Japan, and then I was over in uh, places like New Zealand and Australia and Hawaii. And, um, you know, I spent a fair bit of time down with Dorian Terry Funk down in uh, Amarillo in the 70s. And then, uh, you know, bit of time with Harley Race in Kansas City and uh, I was always pretty curious so I spent a lot of time endeavoring to pick the brains of any and all of those people you know and uh, so it gave me a pretty diverse uh, kind of uh, experience when I did become Booker I was endeavoring to encompass all those different variables into my uh booking and I think it uh, enhanced my uh, overall ability to maximize the potential you know we had we had uh, most of the guys that I kind of started back in the 80s prior to them um, coming up there they they hadn't really uh become household names, any of them, you know, they, and it was nice to see, uh, most of them become household names, you know, they really kind of grew and developed and, uh, you know, advanced 
you know, people like Dynamite and Davey and Brett and Neidhart and later Benoit and Owen and Pillman and uh, a lot of the Japanese guys. And um, so um, it was a pretty diverse style up there. And, the, you know, uh, I was always bound and determined to kind of chart my own course up there. I wasn't, and I all too often saw everybody was copying everybody else. And I was more into a kind of uh, coming up with some new, more advanced hybrids. And uh, I think we had a lot of success in that respect, you know, because most of the guys that came out of there were uh, guys later on that everyone was copying, you know, none of them were really a copy of anybody else, you know, like Dynamite Kid was, a, you know, a new thing, or Brian Pillman was a new thing when he got started, or uh, Brett and Owen, and you know, guys like that, they were all, uh, you know, kind of cutting edge, and uh somewhat radical, you know, and uh, I think that was one of the, uh, one of the really, uh, you know, kind of things I was most proud of with what we accomplished up in Calgary in the 80s, because saw so many, you know, people later on copying it, in particular WWE, you know, they, they copied all kinds of uh, things, you know, we we're sort of like one of the uh, first territories in North America to uh, showcase smaller, faster guys, you know, prior, prior to yeah. coming up, people yeah. like Dynamite and Benoit and Owen, and it was predominantly guys 240 and up, you know, and uh, a little slower, a little more sedentary. And and at the same time, you know, they had a pretty hard-hitting, as opposed to, say, Mexico, which was... You know, high spot city. You know, most, most of those guys are—they were capable of doing high spots as good as anyone. But they—they they wrestled. You know, there's an old saying: the run sets up the pass. You know, the uh, the wrestling sets up the high spot. You know, and so Calgary had a pretty good style in that respect. You know, we weren't just kind of doing high spots and uh, you know, kind of off-the-wall uh, goofy shit, you know, we were actually pretty, uh, you know, uh, old-school in that respect, but uh, it, it was some pretty uh, spectacular athletes up there, too, you know, we sort of endeavored to uh, showcase the uh, athleticism of people like Dynamite and Pillman and Benoit and Owen and a lot of the chat we had a lot of Japanese those Ligers and Hossies and uh, people like that as well so it, it was kind of a, an intriguing hybrid of all these different styles and that was, that was what my objective was to kind of somewhat seamlessly mesh the Japanese and the uh, English and the, and the Canadian and uh, the American style too. We had a pretty good uh, kind of uh, group of American wrestlers up there at that time. You know, we had guys like David Schultz and Ron Starr and uh, Danny Davis, and uh, and we had 
fair bit of intermittent visits by guys like Harley and Dory and Terry Funk, and so well, it's a pretty uh, good uh, cross section of 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 wrestling styles, but it it meshed pretty well, you know, and uh, you know the results were pretty uh, pretty impressive. Well, you know what I like most, you know, about you know back in the day in the eighties. And Stampede Wrestling, you know, the WWE, you know, had all the, you know, the big over-the-top mustard guys like Hogan and Savage and the Ultimate Warrior and the Andre. John Studd and all that, yeah. Yeah. And what I liked about Stampede Wrestling is uh, you guys innovated the, you know, the the medium-sized, you know, wrestlers. I mean, not guys that are all hyped up muscular. I mean, Brett was the first uh, when the WWE. Yeah, Brett was to... not that big, but he was, you know, kind of average size, certainly compared to guys like Hogan and John Studd and Andre and uh, those guys. You know, Brett was, but, you know, I think best thing about the most of the Calgary guys is they uh they wrestled. That was the main course. You know, they as I said before were more than at a, uh more than capable of doing high spots, you know, but they uh they wrestled and the high spots kind of complemented their wrestling, you know, not the other way around, you know, and um and it was a pretty hard hard-hitting, uh, solid style, you know, that was something my dad mandated, and, you know, uh, he, you know, he, that was kind of the credo of the dungeon, you know, sort of amateur-based wrestling was kind of a, a main, you know, component of it, you know, and, uh, but, yeah, everything was you know, whatever you did up there, you did for a reason, you know, and there was, uh, it was a really good, uh, place to learn because, uh, there was always a lot of really, uh, solid veterans up there that, uh, schooled the young guys, you know, uh, you know, guys like Leo Burke and, uh, my dad and, uh, Cuban assassin and, uh, Ron Starr, guys like that, they're all they're all pretty, uh, you know, solid. They had a great grasp of ring psychology, and uh, it, you know, it's it's something that's to some degree missing today. You know, in my estimation, there's uh, there's only a few Dave Finleys and a few of that ilk that are in WWE right now that are uh, maybe capable of you know, imparting that kind of uh, rationale to these new guys, you know, and uh, I think they need to, uh, you know, get back, you know, not to be criticizing, but I think they need to uh, do a lot they need to more go wrestling and a lot less bullshit, you know. Yeah, they need to go back to their roots. Now, when you, uh, when you started uh, training, obviously you trained in the dungeon, uh, when, uh, at what age did your dad start training? Did he, did he like say when you were like, when you're like five years old, it's like, okay, 
get down there, I'm going to start showing you moves, or did you... Close uh, anything, but, you know, Stu was always kind of almost... He was adamant that we all had to uh, go to university, all that type of stuff, before we were allowed to, uh, you know, kind of uh, trespass <laughs> into the wrestling, you know. So, so I, I had gone to university, got my teaching degree. I was actually in law school at one point, you know, and then I finally persuaded my dad to... Uh, allow me to, I'd, I'd been around the periphery of it uh, growing up, you know, I was, was, you know, the dungeon was in the basement, so you'd go downstairs, and uh, I saw, you know, uh, a lot of guys who went on to become legendary performers when I was a kid, and I'd go down to the dungeon, and, you know, it, it was pretty uh, hardcore, amateur-based, you know, uh, or you've probably heard some of the stories about the uh, my dad and well, some of those I, other well, old shooters, the Luther Lindsay's, the Gordiankos, the you know the Billy Robinsons, the you know Gordon Nelsons, and there's always you know that type of uh, anyway. I think uh, I was once described as coming into the. Dungeon, you know, he had to go through the uh, three-headed dog at the gates of hell in order to get into the wrestling business, and uh, the dungeon was sort of like that, you know. And, um, in, in retrospect, I think it was good. You know, it was something that instilled respect. You know, if you came through the dungeon and you uh, went through all that, you not only had respect for the business but you had inherent respect for yourself for having uh you know kind of uh survived and uh withstood all all those challenges you know and uh, i think that uh that tended to be the mode more in a lot of the territories back in the day you know i hear about stories in ohio where they had Guys like Ruffy Silverstein and down in Eddie Graham's territory in Florida, they had people like Carl Gotch and Hiro Matsuda. And uh, I think there was a few old crowbars in uh, Amarillo. And, uh, you know, almost every territory you went to, there was uh, these, you know, kind of, they used to call them pistols or shooters or whatever, you know. Certainly like that in England and Japan, too, you know. You had to go through the Wig and Gem in England, and uh, if you were over in Japan, you know, there was all these, uh, you know, guys that uh, tied you up in knots, and <laughs> it was probably, Japan may have been the worst as far as dues paying, you know, but uh, in its own way, you know, it uh, it instilled respect for the business, and uh, I think it... Uh, you know, it was one of the factors in the business being uh, perceived to be more respectable. And, you know, if I was to offer any constructive advice these days, I think there's <laughs> too much uh, non-wrestling, you know, right. elements. Well, and, uh, you know, it's easier to turn out guys who are actually uh, it's easier to turn out guys who 
don't know how to wrestle and can do all the showbiz bullshit, but I think uh, you you have to, uh, my estimation, I I think there needs to be more, you know, quasi-shooting or more perceptible realism in it. And, um, you know, that's reflected, I think, more than anything by the success of UFC, which is... um, almost kind of like some kind of a throwback to what wrestling was back maybe in the 30s, 40s, and the Luthes era and that kind of thing, you know. But, well, there is one story, though, about the dungeon I would like you to verify. Then uh, uh, I'm going to have my uh, co-host, Granny, ask you a few questions. Uh, now, in uh, in Wrestling with Shadows, there, uh, there was a segment on there when uh, Brett, uh, Brett, uh, I almost said Brett Favre. I'm sorry. Uh, when Brett, uh, I guess he had played a tape of uh, some, uh, someone had taped uh, a guy down. Oh yeah, I, I, I was the guy who taped that. You know, Brett. You know, uh, <laughs> hopefully he's given me a uh, copyright for it. But, yeah, I taped that damn thing. I. I it was kind of weird. I was down in the gym that night. Uh, my dad and uh, Dynamite Kid were down there, and uh, we, we were actually kind of, you know, discussing mats that we were going to have later that week. And uh, anyway, it's almost kind of amusing. These two uh, army boys, want, you know, uninvited, wandered down there, and uh, and. Uh, I think they had had a maybe a drink or two. They were a bit belligerent, which sort of added to the uh, <laughs> kind they, of. They, uh, they didn't talk back to Stu, did they? What's that? They didn't talk back to Stu, did they? Yeah, they they were just a little bit mouthy, you know, and they they. Uh, oh no! They told they told oh. my dad they wanted to fight. Uh, I think uh, David Schultz, who was our top heel at that time, and. Uh, and my dad was uh, actually being remarkably diplomatic, you know, for two, you know, kind of not particularly polite misfits that just wandered in there. And my my dad said, uh, you know, uh, why don't you try on an old fart like me who, uh, you know, before you go in the ring with Schultz or one of those. And they said to my dad, uh, you know, uh, no offense, Stu, but uh, you know, you'd be no challenge for us, you know. Or uh, they you know, did not we say that. Oh yeah, my! So that that, oh, that my. Uh, kind of uh, are, are kind of lit lit that? a bit of a fire under my dad. Next thing, my dad had them on the uh, the mat, and uh, <laughs> I just happened to have a tape recorder nearby, and uh, I uh, pushed play and I record, you know. <laughs> And uh, it was uh, one of those kind of moments frozen in time. You know, you're the guy screaming and still. And, and I, I, I'm not sure if on what Brett had, one of the, one of these idiots actually picked up a weight down in the gym. And uh, and he said, um, if you don't let him go, Stu, I'm going to use this. And my dad said, without even uh, you know uh, changing his tone of voice, if you don't put that damn weight down, I'll uh, break his fucking neck. <laughs> and, the, and the other, oh, the, the I other would, guy. 
I mean, I am just a wrestling fan, but I would never want to mess with Stu Hart. Ever, 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 ever. I no, I would never want to. Oh do yeah. That. I would know, but be- I would know better just even as a fan. I mean. Oh yeah, and I, I remember later on, uh, you know, a few years later they had that, uh, you know, supposed shoot down in the dungeon with Owen and Ken Shamrock, and I think Dan Severn was the guest referee, but yeah, they yeah, were like that. Shamrock yeah. and Severn were legit. Uh, UFC legends, and uh, I remember my dad talking with them pretty candidly, and he was talking about, you know, uh, UFC was nothing different, you know, uh, he said there was no not as much punching in what he was doing, but he said that submission stuff that he and, uh, you know, his cronies back in the day, the Thezes and the Gordiankos and the Lindsays and but he said that was almost kind of, you know, uh, along the same lines. But they're, they're even, you know, uh, maybe even more punishing uh, these submission holds, you know. And they, they used to call them putting putting a guy through the ringer. And uh, I sort of grew up watching that stuff on a regular basis. And you'd see these uh, football players and uh these big bodybuilder types. I remember guys like Billy Graham, superstar Wayne Coleman, and uh, guys like that. Uh, it was all, it was almost kind of a regular, steady diet of hearing these big football players and weightlifters and bodybuilders and whatnot screaming and uh, all, all like that, you know. And uh, so, you know, I, I sort of. Uh, had been exposed to uh, whatever the perceptible uh, UFC or shoot fighting or, you know, uh, that kind of MMA stuff. That, that was kind of the, the norm down in the dungeon. And my, my dad's roots went back to, uh, I think the guy who schooled my dad the most was this old shooter named Jack Taylor, who was... Uh, he was kind of the the main kind of uh, opponent for Frank Gotch back in the around the 1900, and Taylor and Gotch were kind of the uh, you know the the tandem. And there was this old fart named Farmer Burns who was uh, considered by most to be kind of the uh, the father or the founder of shooting or whatever. And uh, so my dad's roots went all the way back to that, and he. And those guys, those guys were uh, an intriguing bunch because they were always, you know, you'd see them, the Lindsays and the Gordiankos and the, you know, my dad and guys like that, and they're always uh, sharing knowledge. And uh, they had all, you know, it was fascinating to hear them talk because, you know, they talked about wrestling almost like it was a chess match and uh, you're getting a guy into checkmate and baiting them and feeding them this, knowing that they were going to, you know, take the bait and that would enable you to, you know, uh, evolve into some, you know, uh, deadly hold and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it was uh, fascinating just to kind of observe the evolution of that type of thing. Now, when you, uh, 
when you uh, were were training with you know with your dad, you know you mentioned you know you had to do the schooling first and all that. Now, when you were when you were younger and kids, now did because uh, I even you know it, it's your dad. I you know if he was my dad, Stu, I still wouldn't want to go up against him. But did uh, did Stu have you guys uh, you know go up, uh, your brothers go against each other to kind of like train stuff or? Uh, oh yeah, it was pretty um, pretty common, you know. It's like. And we would do it ourselves if my dad was, you know, we, you know, just head down to the, we didn't even call it the dungeon, we just called it the gym. But, um, but yeah, we were always, uh, I guess that's like, uh, you know, uh, just part of our kind of growing up, you know, kind of wrestling each other. I, th- I think one of the main coaches when I was a kid you know, one of the main guys who, uh, you know, kind of oversaw a lot of our stuff was this black guy named Luther Lindsay, who was a legendary shooter, too, you know. But I remember him spending a lot of time. We were just maybe 10 years old, that kind of thing, and be like, you know, kind of puppies rolling around. But he'd be uh, teaching you little uh, hooks and you know, ways to, you know, inflict pain or a, a grapevine or a thread through or all these different uh, things, you know. So it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, really a kind of a, a good learning environment down there. And, uh, you know, I, I think later on when I was training guys, uh, that was always one of the primary, uh, you know, prerequisites is it, it had to uh, be w- within the parameter of of fighting or pseudo-fighting, you know. And uh, as you probably have heard, there, were, there was like no ropes or anything uh, like that in the dungeon. So in its own way, you know, it, it kind of uh, made you more focused on the wrestling rather than the uh the high spots and all that kind of stuff you know and uh and I know later on when I traveled I went to England and it was the same in that uh there was a famous gym in uh this little coal mining town called Wigan and it was called Riley's gym and uh same kind of thing as a the dungeon there was no ropes and <clears throat> low ceiling and all that kind of stuff but it kind of uh compelled you to remain focused more on the the wrestling which is uh i think sometimes lost in the uh equation a bit today you know i uh i'm appreciative of these guys endeavoring to get themselves over and they're trying to oblige the fans you know with high spots and spectacular stuff but uh i think to the point where the wrestling is to some degree uh taken a back seat to the showbiz and uh you know i uh i think that's one of the prevailing problems with WWE today is uh, there's too many things that well, don't convert or complement 
it should, yeah. for all intents and purposes, be a fight. Yeah, you yeah. know, if you can incorporate some holy shit high spots or some other uh, whatever, you know, they got all these, di- you know, divergent variables from tits and ass to uh, guys who can't wrestle but can talk a bit. And I think all too often the wrestling becomes compromised by the. Uh, the secondary things, and, uh, and you know, I, I hate to be uh, critical or casting no, aspersions uh, on today's brand of wrestling, but uh, I think uh, there's an old saying that more is better, and I, I don't adhere to that. I think if they did less, but they what they did, they did it better. If they, you know. Uh, focused more on uh, in my estimation there's way too many what we call false finishes those two and nine tenth counts and kickouts you know it's become indifferent after both the 30th kickout and that kind of thing and uh, way too much rule breaking way too much uh, you know things that used to be uh, finishes are now not even barely high spots that kind of thing you know and uh, you have to remember the fans are, you know, um, it's very Pavlovian or, you know, uh, you have to stick to uh, whatever preconditioning you're, you know, imparting to them. And if you're constantly contradicting your own uh, kind of propaganda, then uh, it tends to be counterproductive and confusing. And that's part of the problem today, you know, uh, I think if they did about half as many high spots and uh, a lot more systematic wrestling, it, w- it would be uh, a lot better. But um, unfortunately, mo- you know, most of the guys out there today uh, aren't capable of that. That's one of the the problems that was created by the demise of the territories. You know, back in the day, uh, anybody that ever got to WWE had already. Uh, you know, made a reputation for themselves in, uh, you know, one or more territories. And nowadays that's no longer the case. They got guys who, uh, you know, I assume that they're trained in the, uh, wherever the hell they train them now in down east. But uh, to me, there's still no substitute for, you know, uh, taking a guy from like any of those places like the UFC where they train I mean not the UFC the uh wherever they train them down in uh in New York or whatever you know even if you give them excellent training there's no substitute for sending them on the road and in the old days you'd go to a place like Portland or Amarillo or you know uh any of those smaller territories and you'd it it would take you a few years it's just like any other sport like hockey or football or baseball nobody uh, you know becomes a major league player without having played little league or minor league and wrestling is one of the very few that seems to uh, allow that kind of a a shortcut and uh, unfortunately it comes out in in the wash, I see so many guys in WWE that, uh, you know, in my estimation, would have 
not even cracked the roster 20 years ago. But now, you know, there's no uh, there's no other places for them to learn. So they're they're taking all kinds of guys who, uh, in my estimation, are not particularly good workers. You know, they don't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch type thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, is there and, any wrestler nowadays? Is there any wrestler nowadays that? Uh, that you are impressed with or that you do like, like someone like, uh, say, like an AJ Styles or a Finn Balor? Is there anybody? I like I, AJ. I mean, AJ's, AJ's old school. To, uh, Balor, you know, he reminds me of some of the English guys, you know, uh, that I used to know when I was over there. And Randy Orton, obviously, is pre-seasoned and well-schooled, I'm sure, by his dad and his grandfather, you know, and... Um, um, I think there's a lot of guys who would like to emulate a Dynamite Kid or, a, you know, a, a Billy Robinson or a Dory Funk or some of that, but uh, it's almost like they're not even allowed to, you know, and um, I've run into a lot of them who tell me that they're, you know, endeavoring to incorporate more wrestling in their, you know, kind of repertoire, and they'll tell me that some so-called agent or some idiot in the back is uh, telling him, no, 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 you got to, um, wait, you know, way too many high spots, way too many, uh, you know, to me, way too much choreography, you know, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, anybody who's been around the business can uh, assert that uh, if everything's scripted, which unfortunately appears to be these days uh, you know uh, my dad always used to say there is no orgasm in artificial insemination you know, so, and that's pretty much uh, you know uh, sums up you know uh, what scripting's all about you know I, I think back in my day you know uh, for all intents and purposes you know uh you know, they give you a finish and uh, tell you you need to go 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, and uh, you already had some innate sense of who was the heel or who was the face, and you'd kind of do everything more or less ad lib or spontaneously, and uh, and in so doing, you were inducing the fans to come along for the ride, which is one of the main objectives of the whole thing, and... Uh, if you script everything, uh, what you effectively do is take the crowd out of it, you know, because after a while it dawns on them that they're cheering and they're booing and whatever has no bearing on the outcome. <laughs> so after a while they just sort of, you know, uh, cease to uh, involve themselves, which is, uh, you know, the worst thing you can do. You should be, uh, you know, always interested interacting with the audience and subliminally making them, you know, intrinsically feel that they're cheering or they're booing or whatever else has got some bearing on the outcome. And right. the guys uh, who are... Bruce Hart, uh, Bruce Hart is our guest here. Uh, we uh, have about, uh, we have about, uh, if you can hang on with us, we got about uh, uh, 25 or so minutes with you. Uh, then uh, we have... Uh, 
another guest, I'm sure that you know, we'd like you to hang on uh, and listen during the interview. Uh, uh, our next guest uh, at around uh, 10.25, 10.30, his name is Ross Hart. I think you know who that is. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm happy to I, I, stay on for however long you, you know, okay. uh, as long as I'm not uh, boring your listeners to sleep or anything. No, no, we, we love you. As a matter of fact, we're getting a lot of you. Are all, what, sir, you are always a pleasure to be on this show with us. We always enjoy having you on here with us. But but one thing I do want to do here real quick, um, I don't know if you can check your Facebook right now, but I did send you a script on Facebook Messenger uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that promo thing with you right now, uh, uh, so uh, we can uh, uh, record uh, the promo for when we replay back uh, your uh, your interview. Uh, yeah, I can we, do that. Now I, I'm not. Even, I don't even have a computer here right now, but I can just tell me well, whatever I, you need. Okay. I'll, okay. So basically, the script is: uh, you'll state your name. Hey, this is your, and then your name. You're listening to. The Attitude Air Live with the Icon, the Big Swing, and Granny Hulkster. So one more time, you're listening to Bruce Hart with the Icon. Uh, uh, Granny Hulkster uh, and the Big Swing on Attitude Air Live. R- Randy Holster with the Big Swing. Granny. Granny. Granny, Granny Hulkster. G-R-A-N-N-Y, Granny. Cranny. Granny. Granny. Granny Holster. <laughs> Granny Clampett. It's just a it's just a gimmick name that I was given because yeah. I'm such a huge wrestling fan. So, so. Just, just tell me one more time, uh, uh, straight okay. up, exactly what you want me to say, and I'll just repeat it. Okay, your list. Uh, this is Bruce Hart, uh, or this is the legendary Bruce Hart. You're listening to the Attitude Era Live with the Icon, the Big Swing. And Granny Hawkster. So you're listening to Bruce Hart. This is the Attitude Era with the big swing, Granny Hawkster. And the icon. What was the last part again? The icon. And the icon. And the icon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I'll count you down from five, and then if we have to do a couple things to do that, like I say, we got some time. So uh, let's let's try it. Here we go. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to Bruce Hart, and this is the Attitude Era Live with Granny Hulkstrom. The Icon and Big Swing. The Icon. What was the last part big, there? Big swing. The uh, the icon, big swing. And, and big swing. Yep. Yeah, I guess if you guys can edit that and piece it all together. Yeah, we'll edit it. No, we'll edit it. Yeah, it's old school. Yeah. Well, you know the sad thing is, you said you said my name last, so it's going to be hard for me to edit their names out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They know I'm kidding. Okay. So, well, he Icon, he's being a gentleman because he mentioned me first. He mentioned ladies first, so he's being a true gentleman. Okay. Well. Okay. The Icon is always the you know the final 
climax or whatever the hell, you know. So. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> that's right, Icon. So look uh, at it that okay. way. Well, there, there's a, okay, so uh, now uh, I want to get into some uh, in-depth interviews about uh, uh, uh uh, your your brothers. Um, now, uh, the uh, is it true? Now, I'd like you to confirm the story, whether it's true or not, and then I'm going to have you uh, uh, tell us uh, your favorite Owen Hart story. But the story the, the story I heard, I'd like you to confirm this. When uh, Brett and Owen were feuding, is it true or not true? That you had originally that you had wrote that originally for yourself, but they put Owen instead of you. Is that true or is that not true? Can you confirm um, or deny that? I'm not sure. You know, I I um, honestly don't know. You know, because that's it was WWE who were kind of uh, orchestrating the schematics for whatever. So, wouldn't have been me uh, kind of uh, formulating any of the. Uh, storylines but um but no you know as far as Owen uh I thought Owen I thought he did a hell of a job as you know doing the uh the heel although uh I always thought he was a lot better suited to be a face you know he was almost too uh you know kind of dynamic as an athlete and it's about like Daniel Bryan say, you know, being a heel and a face, you know, I always thought Owen was uh, far better suited, just like I've seen a few guys in recent years, like AJ Styles, they had him as a heel but I always thought, you know, he was far better suited to be a face and I always thought Owen was uh, like that too, you know, and uh, but um yeah, there were so many. Owen was one of those guys, you know. I, I think uh, he grew he grew up in the in the business. So he, he kind of had a. There was always a lot of practical jokes and ribs, as we used to call them. Uh, did he ever rib you? Tell us about that. I'm sure he did. I like the, the oh, favorite he, Owen. He, he did a few did. times, you know, and uh, the best thing about you know a really good rib, you know, I pulled a few in my day myself, but uh, the best thing about a good rib is uh, we're ten years later, they're not they're not sure if it was a rib or not. <laughs> <laughs> and Owen was uh, Owen had uh, I think one of the one one of the ones that made me laugh was at uh, WrestleMania. Uh, I think it was in Los Angeles back in the 90s or whatever the heck, but they, they had a WrestleMania there. And uh, as you guys know, whenever they have WrestleMania, they have all these, uh seem like they have all these, you know, guys, you know, old wrestlers and, you know, guys that used to be on the periphery. And, that, you know, they all seem to show up. But I remember there was this... Uh, I think his name was Reggie Parks. He he was. Uh, oh, Reg Park, yeah, he's the one. That yeah, a nice guy, time. you know, and he had he had broken in in Calgary back in the day. And uh, anyway, Owen Owen had a great ability to impersonate guys, and uh, so uh, <laughs> I guess they were having some kind of a big function that night, uh, you know, um, some kind of a dinner or whatever, and the. Uh, 
some big hotel down in L.A. there. And uh, anyway, Owen called my dad up as Reggie Parks. My dad was doing some kind of a guest appearance. And uh, anyway, Reggie Parks had he had broken in in uh, Calgary uh, back in uh, I think the late 50s, and like so many of the other guys, he had been stretched down the dungeon. <laughs> anyway, uh, Owen called up his uh, he called Stu's room up at Reggie Parks about half an hour before they were supposed to uh, get together, and uh, he was he calls up and Stu it's Reggie Parks, and my dad's originally initially uh, high Reg and having. <laughs> You know, how are you and all like that and Owen says stop right there so I, I've got a bone to pick with you and my dad is a little uh, taken aback and uh, he says back in the, the 50s when I was kind of a young up and coming wrestler you uh, you stretched me down in the gym or you uh, you know you took advantage of me and all that. And my, my dad is starting to get a bit you know, uh, what, what are you getting at, Reg? <laughs> like that. And, uh, Owen kept persisting and saying, uh, you know, I uh, I was young and innocent and naive, and I didn't realize, you know, and, uh, and my dad was starting to heat up and saying, hey, what are you getting at, Reg? And uh, finally, uh, Owen, as Reggie says, uh, you know, if I see you on the, uh, you know, down at the reception, uh, you know, uh, I, I have to, uh, you know, it, it's going to be one-on-one and I want retribution or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I think my dad said, hey, take your best old Richard. <laughs> so, they, they're down on the uh, reception about half an hour later, and uh, Reggie Parks, who hadn't seen Stu in maybe 20 years or something, comes up and uh, t- to shake his hand. And my dad is uh, if you had a fucking piece of me, Reggie, go for it. And, uh, and, uh, Reg wasn't sure. <laughs> I had Stu, what he had done to piss Stu off that much, you know, and my dad was ready to uh, we'll do it right now, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that was like kind of a classic. Owen. Oh, uh, yeah, I, he, he, you know, I, I, could, I could see your dad saying something like, "Real Ridge, if you wanted to try me, why didn't you try me?" You know. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 yeah, I can't. Was... I can't. I can't do too like, you know, like uh, all, uh, all your boys did. But I. Uh, I, I try. I know a few times uh, Owen and I used to uh, do these. You know, we'd get some green guy, some new guy, a guy had just come into the territory, and uh, we'd call them up as Stu and have them, uh, you know, go to some supposed autograph signing at six in the morning in you know some town sixty miles out of town in the uh, middle of winter, and uh, <laughs> and then they would be like calling. They'd call Stu up and, uh, you know, be bitching and saying I'm out in the high river or some damn place and uh, at the rodeo <laughs> grounds and there's nobody here and uh, nobody, you know, and you sent me out here and uh, Stu would be saying, I don't, re- 
I don't recall having sent anybody out to fucking high river <laughs> and, uh, oh my god yeah oh. there, there was always uh, you know uh, <laughs> yeah. something going on with uh, you know uh, Owen, Owen was kind of the master of it he, he had it down to a science you know and uh, but and I remember Owen, Owen did Owen one did that stuff well, no one did that stuff. No one ever tried to get him back, did they? No, I remember uh, one time. Uh, I think it was when WWE had the Godwins, Henry and Phineas Godwin, the Godwin brothers, and they they always they were apparently supposed to be doing some kind of a, a thing on Raw that night with these pigs and cows and goats and all this stuff, and I guess um farm brought all this uh all this livestock in and uh Owen I guess was the only guy around and that this old farmer says, uh, where am I supposed to take this stuff and <laughs> Owen without without missing a beat, uh had them take it to Vince's dressing room. Which is oh kind my of like, no. oh and, my. Uh, they uh Vince came in about an hour later and there was Pigs and pig shit and cow shit and goats and oh, whatever. Oh my helps. goodness! <laughs> and uh, and it's you know and Vince uh, initially was up in arms and then you know I heard later he was saying oh and got me again you know so it was kind of like uh, but uh, yeah he he had a great you know sense you know, sense of humor on he just seemed to be able to. Uh, Pull that kind of stuff and uh, get away with it, well, you know. You know, I also heard there was a, there was a couple of guys that uh, you didn't want to pull ribs on, like Mister Fuji. Is that true? Uh, some of the guys, you know, I, I some of the guys' idea of a rib was uh, wasn't even funny. Uh, their idea of a rib was maybe you know pinching a loaf in somebody's bag or some crap like that, or maybe. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, pissing oh, no. in somebody's uh, water bottle or something like that. But uh, oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> he, well, he, oh, it was always good for it, it was always good for lightening the uh, kind of the tension in the dressing room. You know, it was kind of uh, you know. Uh, so I said before, the best thing with Owen, you're never quite sure. <laughs> If it was a rib or not, you know, it's like, you know, 10 years later, like, uh, <laughs> you know, you're wondering about some incident in Wichita or, uh, you know, uh, Poughkeepsie or some damn place, and you're still not quite sure if it was, uh, you know, uh, a rib or your imagination, you know, that kind of thing. But, well, you know, the, you know, the thing, the thing about, uh, you know, your, your family being legendary uh, and we got about uh, 20 minutes here with you before uh, your brother uh, calls in. But you know, uh, I don't know if you you know you want you want to comment on this or not. But you know, you mentioned you know you mentioned the territories. Uh, you know, uh, and we've had a lot of independent wrestlers on now. Uh, you know, that's because you know we can't get any WWE wrestlers without jumping through 
20 hoops and three rings of fire and whatnot. I mean, it's oh, yeah, absolutely tough. Good. You know, I don't blame the poor wrestlers. You know, if they say anything that's that maybe uh, potentially compromising their, you know, kind of standing, they maybe get fired or something. So, as a rule, most of them won't even, uh, I don't blame them, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's to some degree sterilized it a bit. I I think when I was growing up, there was uh, always, you know, I, I was always intrigued and uh, fascinated. There were so many guys that, you know, they were doing outrageous things and, you know, kind of, it was part of the uh, landscape of the business. You hear all these guys that were, you know, had outrageous personalities and, you know, or pulling ribs and practical jokes, uh, guys like Don Fargo and the Christie brothers and the uh, Harleys and the Terry Funks and that kind of thing, you know, and uh, it, it was kind of one of the things that made the business what it was, but uh, it seems like they've sterilized it to some degree, you know, and uh, that's one of the things uh, I'd like to see more of in the WWE is a little bit more kind of you know, just kind of uh, candor, you know, uh, you know, uh, being a bit mischievous or you know, you know, being a little more uninhibited, you know. But uh, it's a different era, I guess, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I used to, you know, I heard all the stories, and there, there's all you, you guys have probably heard a lot of a lot of those guys, but there was all these guys that were. You know, kind of as well known for what they did behind the scenes as they did in the ring, the Johnny Valentines and the Buddy Rogers, and the uh, you know, there was a whole bunch of these guys that were outrageous characters, and within the you know the the wrestling fraternity, everybody heard about all these things, and it was almost kind of part of the. Uh, you know, what made the business as fascinating and compelling as it was, was just hearing about all these uh, guys from back in the day who were, uh, you know, uh, orchestrating uh, ribs and practical jokes and Mabel parties and all the other crap. You know, the thing is, you know, uh, from you know, being trained, you know, in the dungeon with Stu and everything, you know, the thing is, the way that you were trained, you know, you were, you guys were, you know, taught respect for the business. I'm not saying, uh, you know, and I don't want the people that are listening to what I'm about to say take the wrong way, but I don't, there's a lot of wrestlers out there today, to me, it don't, they don't seem to respect their, uh, you know, the the business and the heritage of wrestling. And the reason why I say that is, you know, back in the day, you know, like, well, here's a perfect example. When your brother and when your brother Owen and Brett were feuding, you know, they, they traveled separately. They stayed different, you know, you know, but now you see uh, two guys going at it at the, on the ring and then they go on this reality show and they're the best of buddies. You know, yeah, no I, I totally agree. I think that WWE and 
company need to reexamine their uh, approach a bit. You know, uh, my estimation, the fans were never seeking to know anyway. You know, and uh, there, there was never any uh, obligatory uh, need for uh, you know. Uh, expose or you know divulging that it was a work or anything like that and my estimation it's no different than uh you know people go to church and uh it would be the equivalent of somebody standing outside the church waving a effing sign and saying this is you know uh uh, church, edu- uh, you know, church entertainment or some bullshit like that. You know, like wrestling entertainment. Essentially, people don't want to know, and they never did. And uh, but you know, having said that, I I think uh, I think they need to be a lot tighter. Even you know, regardless of whether there's. Uh, you know, kind of a perception of it, whether it's a work or a shooter or whatever the hell, you know, I'm not even sure. At some point I'd like to ask them what exactly, what do you guys want to be perceived as, you know, and then uh, tell them uh, if they they gave you a definitive answer, then maybe at at the very least they should stick to whatever their answer is, you know, but uh, but, yeah, I, I think the I think the the business needs to be uh, maybe uh, re-examining what they uh, want the people to uh, perceive them as, you know, and there's too many things that seem to almost contradict each other, you know, whether sometimes they, you know, go overboard on the Brock Lesnar, the pseudo-quasi-shoot fighting, and then they, uh, you know, they go in another direction with, silly crap with maybe Heath Slater and the uh, you know the B team and crap like that, you know, and then right. and you know there's too many things that don't you know at the very least whatever they're doing should be <clears throat> convergent and uh you know it should more or less be going in the right direction and not contradict or detract from something else and that's not really the case in my estimation. I on any given night when I'm watching Raw, it'll it'll be going one direction and it'll go totally another direction. And, uh, you know, after a while you just become confused, you know. And um, confusion's not, to quote Hunter, what's best for business. Right. Well, you know, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the B team. You know, the, the the thing about the B team is, you know, I mean, Chris Axel, I mean, he's a third-generation superstar like you. Oh, you know, yeah, I got no criticism of Joe Hennig or uh, you know uh, Bo Dallas or whatever. Um, any, any perceived criticism of any of those guys uh, would be foolhardy on my part because they're just doing whatever the hell they're told, you know. So well, yeah, criticism well, no, of the I, wrestling, I, you know, I, it's more of a yeah, kind of a. Uh, yeah, I know that you're not criticizing them, but. You know, the thing is, I think with those guys being third-generation wrestlers, you know, you figured that they would find something better for them to do, you know, than what they have them doing. I agree. You know, I've talked, you know, Curtis uh, Joe Hennig's actually a pretty 
pretty nice kid, and I spoke to Larry Hennig, Kelly uh, Florelli, and uh, you know uh, that Dan Gable Hall of Fame thing and stuff like that. And those guys just are pretty much stuck with doing whatever the hell you know anyone inflicts on them. You know, so they don't have a lot of say. You know, uh, and if they uh, started deviating from the script or doing something other than what they were told, they'd probably get fired or, you know, reamed out for uh not not following instructions. But um but right. I think I think it's some my my estimation and it's just a you know, kind of a outside perspective is I think there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And, right. You know, all too often one hand doesn't know what the other is doing, or they got these, uh, you know, guys masquerading as bookers or whatever, and they're almost trying to compete with each other, one up each other, which is not really, uh, you know, you, you couldn't make, say, a great movie, Titanic or whatever, if you had three directors and and they're all operating independent of each other and trying, you know, it'd be. You know, laughable if anyone even tried to do that. You know, but uh, to some degree, that's what's happening in WWE, and I think they, for all intents and purposes, should have essentially one, one sort of game plan or one kind of uh, general objective, and it's all well and good. I know when I was booking, you know, the odd time you seek perspective from somebody sometimes the wrestlers or whoever you know which is different but if if you got two or three or four or five or six guys kind of uh, all orchestrating the schematics uh, it's very unlikely that it's going to be convergent and you know uh, going in the same direction or not contradicting or compromising the other elements, and uh, uh, all too often that's the case. And uh, also, you know, there's not enough kind of uh, pronounced hierarchy. You know, um, in my day, you know, it's pretty, you know, clear. You know, whether it was Calgary or Amarillo or Minneapolis, you always sort of knew what the main event was, and you know, the semi wind up and all like that, but. You go to any pay-per-view or even raw, whatever. Uh, you know, quite often you don't have any idea, and as a consequence, you got every match trying to outdo the other. And on paper, it sounds good, but uh, you know, ultimately, uh, I think you need some kind of perceptible climax in a like main event. You, you know, you. And, and by that token, you're not having uh, guys, you know, trying to, uh, you know, in the opening match, trying to out high spot the guys in the main event. And if one guy's using some kind of a foreign object as, uh, you know, to get a hot finish, uh, you don't want three or four preliminary matches doing the same thing, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. And there's far too much of that kind of overlap and gap type thing in uh it's not good for business, you know. The, fan, right. the fans essentially, uh, you know, should be going whatever direction 
you want to take them in and if you can't define that yourself then uh you know it's not necessarily going to you know uh come out you know the way you want it to so you have to be a bit more judicious and uh kind of definitive about your objectives and that's not the case you know the antithesis is flinging shit against the wall and hoping something will stick and uh right all too often it doesn't but it stinks you know so right you know the the other thing you know um and uh uh like i see we've got about seven minutes here with you uh, uh before uh ross calls in uh there's a few other things i'd like to ask you uh kind of like uh favors actually uh yeah. uh I had uh, I had sent it I I texted to Bob and hopefully he'll show it to you. I'd made a cool little collector's card for you, uh, and uh, I also uh, uh, made one for uh, your brother Ross. Hopefully Bob will uh, uh, forward that to you guys. But yeah, uh, sure. So we got a we got a big uh, show coming up in December for our fans. Uh, we uh, might uh, if you'd be willing to do it. Uh, would you be willing to? Um, uh, send us some autographs for giveaways that we could uh, have for our big December show that we got coming up. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'll, uh, I can give you autograph pictures or whatever. If, uh, I'll give Bob whatever, and he can uh, send it to you. You know, whether it's a okay autograph picture, or whatever. You know. All right. Yeah, because like you know, it's like, I'm not just saying this because you're on, but you know, you always have been one of you know my favorites and. You know, the thing is, I, I'll never forget, you know, the Survivor Series pay-per-view when, uh, you know, you were in the ring with your brothers against uh, what was originally supposed to be uh, Jerry Lawler. But uh, Oh, yeah, I, that was kind of a gong show, you know. Uh, initially, it was supposed to be Matt Bourne, Jerry Lawler, and uh, Terry Funk was supposed to be part of it. And um, I think Shawn Michaels was the other, and then... Uh, Sean Michaels and his knights, the red knight, the black knight, the blue knight. Well, originally when I shot the angle, you know, you guys might recall, I did a thing at SummerSlam with, uh, I was in Auburn Hills, Michigan, with, I think Brett was supposed to be working with Lawler, who was um, faking like he was injured, and then Matt Bourne, or Doink the Clown, was, and then uh, at some point Lawler hit the ring with the, the cast and the crutches and they're beating Brett up and then I hit the ring and then uh it kind of spun from there but um but but yeah I, I, I think Lawler and Matt Bourne got into some legal problems in yep, Louisville did. or something like that and then so next thing uh Shawn Michaels and Terry Funk were part of it and um and then um I remember we had it was it was it took place in Boston in the, the garden there, you know, and uh, I remember seeing Terry the night before and uh, um, they ran the finish by him and um, I don't remember who was, it wasn't Vince, but it was like, uh, it may have been Pat Patterson or somebody uh, ran the finish and and they're, they're all supposed to be red knights and black knights, whatever the hell, and then for some reason, Terry didn't like whatever the finish they gave him. And I remember he, somebody left this, uh, like a laundry bag on my hotel doorknob 
I, I really? got up and you know, it was Terry Funk's Red Knight mask and uh, some cryptic note that said, uh, tell Vince my horse got sick, I had to go home. Uh, oh, <laughs> so he he withdrew and then, so initially it was supposed to be, uh, as I said before, Lawler and, uh, you know, Matt Bourne and Terry and I think Sean and then uh, ended up being Sean and... Uh, some guy named Jeff Gaylord who was kind of a mid card jabroni or and Barry Horowitz and uh uh I'm trying to remember who the other Greg Valentine was one of them was. Greg Valentine? Yeah, big Greg and uh so, yeah, it was and uh so it was uh <laughs> I, I still have no idea why they were knights, like everybody knew who the hell they well, were well, anyway, you know. Be, well it was supposed to be, you know, Jerry the King Waller and his knights. But you know, because he had the legal problems, uh, they had to switch it. So they 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 fired him for a time. And they brought Shawn Michaels back after his suspension because it was it was you, yeah, Brett, like, Owen, and Keith. Uh, like, and of course, absolutely nobody that was in the match had had any prior interaction with any of the Hearts. You know, like Shawn right. hadn't done anything. We had no issues with him and. Uh, I think that was the first time I ever laid eyes on Jeff Gaylord. It was that night in the dressing room, and Barry Horowitz is kind of like one of the guys he used to get squashed or jobbed out every night. And then I don't think the Hammer Valentine had any issues, maybe maybe as far back as Brett and Nightheart, Brutus and Greg or some shit like that. Huh. You know, but that was, but yeah, we. It, it was uh, it was all right, nonetheless. But it, it was kind of like uh, you know, and that, not not pretty, not very well laid out, or you know, there's not any right. ration, rhyme was, or reason to it, you know. Yeah, it was actually that that match that actually uh, where Owen uh, turned uh, started turning heel. Oh, yeah, that was the. Uh, yeah, I never knew. You know, I, I was originally told by. Uh, I think Pat Patterson or whoever that I was supposed to be the guy turning heel, and then they switched it at the last sec, you know. And I never, you know, the whole thing was kind of shrouded in ambiguity and uh, kind of, uh, you know, speculative conjecture about who, you know, who orchestrated what to have it end up as it did, you know. it was all right, you know. I, I I always thought it was more of a a gong show than uh, any <laughs> anything, you know, above and beyond that, you know. But, and uh, I I have to ask you this, and I you know because I know your brother will be calling in shortly, but uh, you know if you don't want to answer it, um, uh, I'll I'll understand. See. Uh, do you have any opinion on Montreal at all? Survivor Series, the Mon- the, the Montreal yeah, Do you have pretty, any opinion uh, on that? Yeah, uh, I thought it was regrettable, and uh, I've been pretty candid and straight up about it. I, I certainly don't endorse or uh, advocate in any way what. 
you know, uh, WWE orchestrated there as far as the, uh, you know, the finish with uh, Hebner and all the other, you know, you know, if you want a guy to do a damn job, tell him to do it. You know, uh, right. Part of, been part of the business as long as the business has been around. You know, and uh, so it certainly didn't make WWE look good. Um, at the same time, I I don't think it was uh, good for business either that Brett was uh, so inclined to. You know, hit fence or whatever. You know, I, yeah. So, well, I guess the know, best the way for me to is, say it is nobody, nobody had anything to be proud of in that whole thing. And the wrestling business uh, itself was maybe the worst. Uh, you know, you know, recipient. You know, it made the business look kind of incompetent and. Uh, Invited a lot right. of derision and ridicule that wasn't necessary. So the whole thing was kind of for all the wrong reasons, and uh, nobody that was part of it had any reason to be proud of their part. I, in my estimation, right. you know, this kind of much well, ill-conceived you know, horseshit. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, I, I was always a fan of your brothers, even though. Even back in the day when, you know, when he, he did his field well, thing. I don't blame him the least bit for being pissed off, you know. And it was a, well, he it was a sign of disrespect that they that chose to uh, perpetrate that, you know. It certainly didn't reflect any regard on their part for him. You know, as I said before, right. though, I don't think... Uh, you know, I, I couldn't see my dad having orchestrated a schematic like that. And as I said before, it's not uncommon, you know, get guys who don't want to drop a belt, you know, sometimes egocentricity or whatever other issues uh, arise. But um, it's just part of the business, you know. It's uh, right. like somebody... Well, you know, uh, the thing is, you know... Like I say, I was always a fan of your brother, even though when he was doing his, uh, you know, when he was doing the, the whole heel oh, thing, I mean, yeah, I no think he was a great, great worker, and he had been a a loyal and a diligent servant for them. You know, and he deserved to be treated better. You know, oh, yeah, uh, he did. It was it was despicable. What happened? They certainly can't. You know, they shouldn't be. Uh, proud of themselves or they shouldn't be uh, endeavoring to uh, defend or justify because there's no justification for doing it the way they did it, you know. Uh, but, it, you know, the whole thing, the, the wrestling business itself was the uh, ultimate victim of that abortion, you know, and, uh, you know, it shouldn't have happened in uh Nobody that was part of it should be taking any bows for it. Right. Now, uh, your brother should be calling in here, sir, and I hope that our other co-host is watching the board. Um, you know, the the uh, thing, uh, you know, in wrestling nowadays, um, you know, uh, if uh, our fans wanted to uh, keep track of you and uh, uh, check uh, 
uh, check you out. Uh, do you have a Facebook? Do you have a Twitter? Do you have an Instagram? What do you got out there that they can check you out? I'm not even sure. You know, I do that heartbeat radio uh, on uh, some something called PWP Nation. It's called uh, Pro Wrestling Powerhouse or something. And I do a, a weekly written column where I just kind of render perspective about whatever the hell I feel like rendering perspectives <laughs> on in the wrestling business. Uh, so well, when is that's the every week, and it's called Heart, Heart Murmurs. The, okay. uh, the written column, you know, I've done that for several years. And... <clears throat> You know, you, it, it's pretty candid, you know, kind of commentary on whatever in the business. And then the radio show, it's like a two-hour thing. I think we start up again in, in maybe uh, November. And I, I just interview people like Terry Funker. You know, uh, I've had a ton of these guys on there, and you just kind of discuss different uh, wrestling stories and perspectives. And so it's pretty candid, you know, and it just kind of uh, cuts so to the chase. So when is your and podcast on? And how, when is your it's podcast usually on, on Saturday. Uh, Saturdays, it's, I think it's, it's called Heartbeat Radio, and it's uh, live. And they have an archive, they've got, maybe six years of it so you can listen to any of the old ones with uh, a ton of these uh, you know all kinds of these old legends on there some of them are not alive anymore but I've had a ton of these uh, you know everyone from Harley Race to Terry Funk to Ric Flair to uh, Abdullah the Butcher or whatever and you just kind of you know uh converse just like we're doing right now you know and you just discuss uh their perspectives about uh things back in the day or present or or whatever and quite often you have now, uh, I, fan, I, fans sure, phone I'm in sure and ask had, questions I, i'm sure you've had you've had your brother brett on there haven't you or um we may have had him the odd time you know um not very often, though, I might add, though, you know, he's been, uh, you know, he doesn't do that many interviews, you know, and uh, so, you know, but I've had it, uh, I've had a ton of guys on there. If you ever, guys ever listen, you'll hear some of the people, you know. All right. See the the other thing I you know I don't uh, you know I don't know if you uh, you know you'd be willing to do it but you know uh, this is you know the second time we've had you on and we love having you on and we have I still have tons more questions I mean I you, I mean you you have you have such a vast you're such a vast uh, encyclopedia of wrestling knowledge that we, we you know we can't ever squeeze it it all in you know in you know the short time that we're on but. Uh, you know, I, I hate to ask this, but would you be willing to join us again? Oh yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to. You know, I'm glad that uh, you guys or the listeners out there are uh, interested enough in uh, <laughs> hearing whatever I've got to say that uh, you 
uh, seek to get more from me, you know. So I'd be right. more than happy to, you know. It's uh, I should be flattered, I guess, you know, that anyone wants to hear yeah. what I've got well, to say. Well, you know, you're, uh, you know, you, you, you know, like I say, people think I, I just say this because I, I want to kiss butt to our guests because you know you guys are so. But that that's never been <clears> my thing. My thing is, you know, I appreciate your knowledge of the business. I appreciate that, you know, that you're willing to take time out of your schedule to join us. You know, I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, as I no, said it's, before, it's you know, thing. I think ultimately it's for the the fans out there, you know, and uh, I'm sure that's why you guys do this too, you know. And, um, yeah, and I... As we said before, you know, all too often the uh, a lot of the WWE guys are not really at liberty to be candid or uh, forthright, you know. So, uh, right. you know, if I if I can uh, offer some, you know, kind of insightful uh, firsthand perspective on something, uh, more you know, I'm more than happy to, you know, and. Uh, there's so much well, uh, the, uh, as Donald Trump calls it the uh, false, <laughs> whatever the you know, they there's all this fake news and all this crap, you know. So um, that's why I enjoy I consider myself with lucky to have been, Yeah, I'm, I consider myself lucky to have been there and done it, you know. And I, I consider myself really fortunate. I've had the ability to cross paths and it interact with so many of these iconic people, the funks and the races and the flares and the Abdullahs and all these, you know, so um, I guess that gives me some perceptible kind of uh, legitimacy, you know, and I'm more than happy to, you know, kind of render perspective or, you know, interact with you guys, you know, you guys... Uh, seem like you're pretty knowledgeable and pretty sincere too, so that that makes it that much more fulfilling and enjoyable for me too. Well, you know the the thing is, and you know, um, I I know it may be you know hard uh, you know for me to admit this, but you know to be honest with you, one of the reasons why I started uh, you know I got into wrestling and started uh, doing the podcast and all this is uh, actually the reason, one of the reasons why I started doing this is because I've always wanted to be able to talk to your brother, you know. Oh, Brett. Brett, yeah, and uh, I've done, I've done just about everything I could think of. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we have uh, sharpshooterfunding.com as our advertisers, uh, I mean, I've talked to his bro- his daughter Jade. I've talked to his ex-wife. Uh, I've talked to uh, his brothers. I've talked to his nieces. I've talked to his nephews. Uh, I'm talking to everybody but him. You know. And, yeah, um, I, I uh, as I said before, you know, I haven't I haven't had him on my shows. You know. Um, much myself, you know, I'm not sure if it's uh, just the way he is or if he's like Howard Hughes or something like that. He doesn't, you know, I really don't know, you know, I don't 
profess to uh, know why he's uh, not necessarily uh, amenable to doing interviews and stuff, you know. But, um, well, you know, know uh, uh, if you did well, get him on, you know, he certainly, I'm sure, would have some interesting stories. You know, he's been involved in so many uh, fascinating aspects of the business that, he, you know, I'm sure he's got some, you know, really compelling stories. Well, you know, I'll tell you, if you, um, you know, if, you know, if, if, if you ever have, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, he's your brother, so I'm sure you have contact with him and whatnot, but if, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you ever, uh, you know, if you could let him know that his number one fan out of Fargo, North Dakota, I got to meet him. I got to go backstage they, uh, when he was here for Thunder, WCW Thunder. And uh, I won a backstage pass, and they uh, they asked, what wrestler would you like to meet? And I said, Brett. And I got to I got to talk to him for five minutes. He, he, I don't know if he'd ever remember that or not. But, you know, if you could pass. pass he probably would, you know. When Ross comes on, you know, Ross interacts with him more than I do, but um, you never know. Ross might be able to, you know, you know, may, may, maybe mention that to him or something, and he might, uh, you never know. He might be more than happy to come on. It's just a matter of uh, asking him, you know. Sure. And I, I guess I don't know what happened to Ross. I know that he uh, had his uh, yoga class tonight. He was, you know, he was supposed to. Be, uh, yeah, I thought he might be on by now. You know, I. Uh, I yeah, he was uh, supposed to. He was supposed to call in at ten thirty. He said he was going to call in, but uh, I guess we'll just have to. We'll uh, reschedule. You know, uh, I, well, we scheduled him because I got his number now. Uh, but I guess uh, you know we have about ten minutes left of the show. So if you can yeah, hang sure. with us. Uh, uh, you know, we will. Yeah, we'll if you have any up. other uh, questions, uh, go ahead, Jen. Or... You you ask some questions. Go ahead. Well, you know, I I I remember back. Um, I believe it was around '96 when you were with like Marty Janetti and Tatanka and Jim the Anvil Nightheart, and it was like UCW. Oh, yeah. Can you share some stories about that with the with us? Yeah, well, that was down in New York, wasn't it? Like, uh, mm-hmm, Queens, like an independent, uh, independent, independent circuit. Yeah, that was fun. For some promoter uh, um, out of Queens, I think they wrestled at the Elks Hall down in uh, Queens, New York. There and uh, yeah, they 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 called me up. A uh, guy, the guy who was a promoter, his name, some guy named Lou, and. Uh, they, they had a bunch of WWE, uh, you know, guys who had been with WWE. Like I think Bundy was King Kong Bundy and uh, uh, Marty Jannetty and Tatanka and Anvil and uh, I think there was a few others, uh, maybe Tony Atlas and a few others that had been there just prior. And so we were doing all these uh, shows in it. In and around the uh, Manhattan area, I think we did some place called Deer Park and uh, and uh, the Bronx and uh, you know some of these little uh, places on the island. And uh, 
it was fun that we were uh they had a bunch of these uh um uh, had a bunch of guys who were on uh independent type guys and some of them were actually some pretty good workers you know and uh and they had all the WWE ex WWE guys like Anvil and Tatanka and Janetti and uh them were all playing arch villains and all the uh I think the promotion was called ECW or something like that. And they used UC, to call, UCW, UCW, I believe yeah, it was. Something like that. And they, uh, it was fun though. We, we, uh, you know, they because pretty much left. If I, if if I remember correctly, you all did kind of like the NWO storyline type thing, you know, where you had the black T-shirts and because I'd seen uh, yeah, pictures we actually, of. You, you know, it was it was, it was uh, almost running concurrently with uh, whatever the hell was going on in NWO at that time. Although uh, we weren't striving to copy them or anything, but we were kind of just being like uh, the antithesis of whatever UCW, you know, uh, you know, and we were always all playing obnoxious heels and you know putting down the uh all the New York wrestlers and uh all that kind of thing and uh it was pretty good though it reminded me of Stampede Wrestling kind of uh, being transposed into uh <laughs> into New York you know <laughs> and Stampede was kind of a hardcore ass kicking uh, forerunner of uh EC Dub and all that kind of stuff you know so we were uh by no means trying to emulate WWE. We were always, you know, doing Stampede-style stuff, you know, and the same kind of uh, style of wrestling and the same kind of... Uh, at that time, you know, the WWE had not really transformed or evolved into the uh, quasi-hardcore stuff that it later on, you know. So we, we were kind of doing... Uh, you know, and I always thought ECW, even though uh, they got some kind of a buzz, I, I thought they were a bit too overboard and, you know, just the extremism and that kind of crap. So we we were more like Stampede Wrestling, where it, it was kind of a hardcore style, but we weren't, uh, you know, having uh, tables, ladders, chairs, and switchblades and machine guns and crap, you know, either, you know <laughs> so. So well, you know, hey, that's uh, that is awesome, though. Well, yeah, see, I was—I mean, back in the day, I—I I mean, I remember watching Tatanka wrestle and Marty Jannetty, and I mean, I was big, huge fans. I loved Tatanka and Marty Jannetty back in the days, you know. And I've always well, been a fan the of, of the Heart because, Foundation, uh, you know. And all those guys were faces when they were in WWE, and we mm-hmm. had them. It's kind of obnoxious. Uh, yeah, and know. I and I love the British Bulldogs back in the day. I mean, the British Bulldogs oh, were yeah, one of my were, favorite tag were, teams. Um, Matilda, I loved Matilda because I love dogs, and I always loved Matilda. And I know there was a couple different Matildas that they had. Oh but, yeah. you know, but I love I love yeah. the British Bulldogs back in the day. Oh yeah, they were uh, they were. Uh, and, most of those guys were cutting edge, you know, the guys, uh, the Bulldogs and uh, Brett and uh, Owen and Pillman and 
Benoit and all those guys, they were they were not trying to be a copy of anybody else. They were, you know, doing their own thing and I think that was one of the things that made them as uh successful and compelling as they were, you know, that they were uh not trying to be the second coming of Randy Savage or uh, you know, Bob Backlund or whatever, you know, they were Yeah, I agree. They were just going out and doing their own thing and they they uh they became kind of uh guys that everyone was later on trying to emulate, you know. Yeah, Brian Pillman was another one of my favorites back in the day. I tell you, I, if Granny Holkster had been around back in that day, which that would that I've only been Granny Holkster probably for about fifteen or sixteen years, but I've been Lori Burt wrestling fan a lot longer than I've been Granny Holkster wrestling fan. But I love my wrestling. I love I love to interact. I especially love giving the bad guys lots of grief when I go to these independent shows like I do. I mean. Yeah, I'd love to see more. Uh, I'd love to see more of the indie shows, uh, indie promotions. Uh, you know, kind of uh, coming back. You know, and uh, I'd love to see more of them be doing their own thing, not trying to be a, a watered down copy of WWE or having the center of their centerpiece being. Some old retreads from WWE. I'd like to see them developing their own uh, stars and you know uh, evolving in their own ways, not just being a kind of watered down cheap imitation. Well, I actually, I actually help with an organization that runs out of Oklahoma called Wrestling for a Cause. They're getting ready to celebrate their seventh year next month on their anniversary show and. They do wrestling shows for kids that have got cancer. And I am very blessed to be part of such a, a great organization. I've been pretty much a part of it yeah, since, more power since to they you. started. I, uh, I uh, love to hear stories like that. And, um, if I can ever give you any per- perspective or any useful advice in, in uh, helping any of those initiatives, uh, feel free to call me. Well, that would and be I awesome. Will, uh, I mean, I, I have I have your number, and I'll uh, if you give me permission, uh, I can, I'll pass your number on to her. And uh, yeah, um, let me find. We, uh, we we do need to we do need to uh, we do need wrap to this wrap up, this up. Unfortunately, here, uh, I'm getting yeah, I'm getting the uh, I'm getting the uh, the tap on the watch signal. But uh, 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 Bruce, we do want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Tonight. Thank you, Bruce, I'm so much. In, I'm going to get in touch with you, and we uh, we are going to have you on again because we have more stuff that we want to cover with you. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, we only scratch the surface. You know, I got uh, a zillion uh, stories and uh, whatever, so I'd be happy to oblige you yeah, again another we, time. The next time we have you on, we want we're going to talk to you about being in England and being in uh, New Japan wrestling. We're going to talk to you about that next time you're on. Sure, I'd be happy to, you know, kind of render perspective on any of that stuff. All right, cool, Bruce. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir, and uh, have a great well, night, Bruce. You, Thank you. You guys too. All the best, and uh, look forward to next time. All right, thanks, Bruce. Have Bruce, a good hard everybody. <laughs>
Hell in a Cell this Sunday. Stay tuned for the second half of Monday Night Football. We will be back next Monday night, same time, same place, same three individuals. Granny Hulkster, Big Swing, and the icon. This was Attitude Era Live with a heart family member. Another great show. We'll see you next week. Dead man walking. You got it now. You got it made a big mistake. And I can't allow you to think you can just walk away. So turn around and face the driver you're gonna Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.